Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Bayshore. Good to see everybody. We're so glad you're with us today. And welcome to our incredible service this morning. We're so glad you're a part of this. I want to give a big welcome to our Femic Island campus and also our online campus, everybody that's watching online this morning, as well as the amazing Millsboro campus. So just want to welcome everybody. So glad you're here. Hope you've had an amazing week and everything's been good. And uh, we're here to encourage you today. Today we're in a series called Hopeless, and we've crossed out the less, and we are talking about hope, how to get hope back. We feel like one of the most important things that we can uh, achieve during this season is to find hope. And there's a great verse of scripture in the New Testament. Romans chapter 15 verse 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the goal of this series is to get everybody's heart filled with hope because God is a God of hope. He's a God of uh, incredible hope. So we want to encourage you. So uh, wherever you are, what you're going through, uh, today's uh, service is designed to encourage you and to give you hope. So we want to talk a little bit today about the importance of getting hope uh, when things are just really going haywire. And we're looking at a great passage of scripture today in the book of Ezekiel. And it's basically a, a, a story about collective hopelessness. Now, what is collective hopelessness? Maybe you wonder, maybe you never heard that term before. You probably haven't heard it because I just made it up. Collective hopelessness is when uh, there's a group of people that get hopeless. And uh, it could be a nation that is just sort of like contagious hopelessness that just kind of goes from one person to another person to another person. And I think that hopelessness is not simply limited to one person. You know, sometimes one person gets depressed or they get discouraged or they get sort of in the, in the dumps and so you got one person. But I believe it's possible for an entire group of people for a business or for a church or for even a nation to be filled with hopelessness because hopelessness is contagious. Hopelessness is contagious. And uh, we are all, have all been talking about how contagious COVID-19 is, and that's been the big theme of our nation and the world recently. How contagious is COVID-19? Well, it's obviously very contagious and something we need to be very careful about, but I think there's something even more contagious than COVID-19. And I think the thing that's the most contagious is hopelessness. And so we want to think about how can we get hope back in our life and how can we achieve hope. So in the, uh, in the, in the Old Testament, there's a story of the nation of Israel when they were filled with hopelessness. And remember, you know, this principle that hopelessness is not limited to the individual, but it can spread to a group of people. So there's a, such a thing as collective hopelessness. Here's some pictures from the Great Depression back in uh, 1929, and you can just see the hopelessness on people's faces. Here's a picture of a family, and you can just see the destitution in these people. And that was a season in our nation's history when everybody was filled with hopelessness. And Franklin Roosevelt came in with all the programs, and he said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. 
And he began to challenge our nation, and we began to rebuild as a nation, and an incredible thing. You know, hopelessness, you can see it sometimes, you know, collective hopelessness. You can see it on the bench of a football team. You know, when they're in that playoff game, and uh, it's obvious there's only 40 seconds left, and they're two touchdowns behind, and they're going to lose the game, and they're, the whole bench is filled with hopelessness. And sometimes uh, the camera will kind of scan on the people sitting on the bench, and you can see that they're dejected and they're down. Here's a picture of the Ravens, one of the Ravens players, after they lost their playoff game last year uh, to the uh, the Titans, and it was just a sad moment for all of us that are Ravens fans. And so you know, hopelessness can just uh, saturate a whole group of people. Now, we want to read a passage of Scripture in Ezekiel chapter 37, where we see um, the nation, the entire nation of Israel is filled with hopelessness, the whole nation. Everybody's filled with hopelessness. And, uh, and so Ezekiel, this great prophet who uh, had this vision uh, and multiple visions in the book of Ezekiel, at the end of the book or toward the end of the book, he had this amazing vision of the Valley of Dry Bones found in Ezekiel chapter 37. It's such a great story. Let me read it to you. And uh, let me just talk about it a little bit after we get done reading it. The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. What a great, great story. Now, the vision uh, that Ezekiel had is a vision where he was in a valley, and the valley was filled with these skeletons. And there were skeletons on the right, skeletons in the, on the left. There were skeletons piled on top of each other. 
And the Bible says that the Lord took Ezekiel back and forth through that valley, and he saw the death and the hopelessness of that valley. Now, there's nothing more dismal, nothing more discouraging, nothing more dark than a valley that's filled with dead bones. And so this picture captures what the children of Israel felt like when they were in captivity. They were in Babylon, had been there for almost 70 years. They were in captivity, and they had given up their hope. They're never going to get their nation back. They're never going to get their land back. They're never going to get their king back. They're never going to get their temple back. And they had given up. And maybe you feel that way during this time of COVID-19. You feel like we're never going to get our life back. We're never going to get our life back in order again. And that's what the Israelites were feeling in uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 37. Now just think about what's happened to them. 70 years earlier, the Babylonians had come in there and they had literally destroyed their city. They completely destroyed the city. The first thing they did was they, they burned the temple down, the place where Jehovah was worshipped. They burned down the king's palace. They burned down, it said, all the important houses in, in, the, in the, uh, the city of Jerusalem. You can read this in First. Uh, King or Second Kings chapter twenty five, and they burned down uh, all the houses. They burned down the palace. They burned down the temple. They tore the walls down. They completely destroyed the city, and then they took all the people except the poorest people in the land and took them captive and took them to Babylon. And so they've been there for two generations now, and they've given up hope. They're never going to get their, uh, their city back. They're never going to be a nation again. They're never going to have autonomy again. In fact, that's one of the things they lost. They were taken captive, and they had to live somewhere they didn't want to live. They had to have a schedule they didn't want to have, and so they were in captivity, and they had lost everything, lost their autonomy, lost their houses, lost their nation. They had lost everything, and they are discouraged. I'll never forget, uh, many years ago, Karen and I uh, were here at the church working one day, and we got a call, and the call came, and there was a, a family in our church, a farm family that lived on 54 on the way to Femic Island, that their house was on fire. And so Karen and I jumped in the car, and we tear, uh, tore down the road and, and went toward uh, Selbyville and went through Selbyville and finally out on 54. And as we got on 54, we could see the smoke, the black smoke billowing up into the sky. And so when we got to that farmhouse, it was completely engulfed in flames. And I'll never forget the scene I saw. I saw the wife uh, the mother of the kids and the wife of the farmer, I saw her in the yard and she collapsed in her husband's arms as he just tried to comfort her. And she was so in shock that she completely collapsed. And I never forget it. I can see him walking her into the barn. The barn door was open and they stood there in the barn and Karen and I stood beside them with some other friends and watched as their house was burned down and their heart was broken. Their heart was broken. And I think that's what the children of Israel felt like. They felt completely destitute. They felt like everything that they ever wanted was gone. And it was devastated. And they were completely at a point of hopelessness. And not only had they lost everything, but they had been in Babylon year after year after year after year after year. And they thought they were never going to get back to their homeland. They thought they were never going to get back to the place where they once lived. They thought they would never get their temple back. But in the story, Ezekiel has this vision, and the vision of all these bones in the valley, the interpretation of the vision is in the text in Ezekiel 37. It says it's the house of Israel who feel like their hope is gone. 
They've lost their hope. They've lost their hope. It wasn't just one person that lost their hope, but it was the, high, the entire nation had lost its hope. And so Ezekiel was told by the Lord to begin to prophesy and speak to those bones. And as he began to prophesy, the bones began to come together. And as the bones began to come together, uh, then he prophesied some more. And the, the breath of God came into the, those bones that now had skin and muscle and sinew on the bones. And they stood up alive. And it was a vision that God was going to restore their nation that God was going to restore them as a people and that life was going to come back into them and they were going to stand up strong and healthy again. And I just want to say to you that's listening to me this morning, maybe you've lost your hope in this time of COVID-19. Maybe our community is losing its hope during this time of COVID-19. But I think this incredible vision in Ezekiel 37 is an incredible reminder that when a collective group of people has lost their hope, that God by His Spirit can pour out His Spirit and can restore and could give us our life back again. And what an incredible picture it is. So I can just imagine Zeke. I love this story because the first thing is, you know, the Bible says that uh, the Lord took Ezekiel back and forth through the valley so he could look at the bones, took him back and forth through the valley. And I think God just wanted Ezekiel to get a good look at the condition that they were in. And so he got a good look. He couldn't miss it. You know, the Lord just said, you know, just look over here, look over there. And the Lord took him through the whole valley. And Ezekiel could take in the destitution and he could see how desperate the situation was. Now, how many know that, you know, it's important for us to remember that, that faith or hope is not denial of reality. Uh, you know, faith or hope is not denial that something is the way it is. Sometimes I've heard people, you know, that sort of like, uh, you know, they're like uh, really mystical people, and they just, you know, pretend that there's not a problem. They pretend that there's not anything going on. But that's not what happens in this text. The Bible says that the Lord took Ezekiel back and through the valley so he could see the real situation. God is not afraid of reality. God's not afraid of reality. You don't have to lie to the Lord. You don't have to pretend that there's not a problem. In fact, you want to acknowledge a real problem to a holy God that's supernatural. And so sometimes we think that faith is pretending there's not a problem. Or hope is sort of closing your eyes. And you're like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. You're clicking your heels together and saying there's no place like home. There's no place like home. You're pretending there's not a problem. But there is a problem in Ezekiel's day. And the people are in captivity. And uh, there's a great uh, text in the book of Romans about Abraham. Remember Abraham, he was married to Sarah, and God was going to give them a child in their old age. They were actually the, the patriarchs, the original members of the Jewish race. And so Abraham's 100 years old, and the Lord said, I'm going to give you a child. And it says in Romans, the book of Romans, that Abraham considered the state of his body, and he knew he was old, and he knew that Sarah was old. And yet in hope and faith, he trusted the Lord. He didn't deny that he was old. He didn't deny that he was an old man. He accepted reality and God moved in that reality. So faith is not and hope is not denial of reality. So the Bible says that Ezekiel went back and forth uh, through that valley 
and he saw things the way they really were. Now, I don't know if you know about the Christian scientists. There's a, uh, what many Orthodox people consider a cult, a group of people called the Christian scientists. And Christian scientists, by the way, Ellen DeGeneres used to be a Christian scientist. She was raised uh, by parents that were Christian scientists. And what Christian scientists believe is basically is that when there is a problem, there isn't really a problem, but it's an illusion and it, our mind is imagining something that's not real. And so in this story, we see that it's very important to accept reality, recognize reality, even if reality isn't good. And when you recognize reality, you are saying, God, here is the problem. And I, I'm not in denial about this, and I need you to move in that situation. Now, the Bible says that uh, Ezekiel was told to prophesy. He was told to prophesy uh, to these bones. And the Lord said, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said exactly what he should have said. Well, Lord, you know, you know, he wasn't sure if these bones could live or not. And the Lord said to Ezekiel, you know, I want you to prophesy over these bones. Now, there's something really important for us to remember here. Number one, there's incredible power in the spoken word. There's incredible power in the spoken word. Remember how I said in the beginning that uh, hopelessness is contagious well, just as hopelessness is contagious, I want you to know that hope is contagious as well. Remember Acts chapter 16 when uh, Paul and Silas have been uh, flogged and whipped at, at Philippi and they're in the jail and they're in the stocks and bonds and they are in uh, captivity. And, it, and the Bible says in uh, Acts chapter 16, it's midnight. It's midnight. It's dark. It's as dark as it's ever going to get. And, you know, they're in that terrible situation, just like we're feeling sometimes. And Paul and Silas were in that terrible situation. And what did they do? I mean, they could have just taken in the reality around them. They could have said, well, man, this is just awful, and I can't believe that this happened to us, and why is the Lord letting this happen to us? And, and, and Silas could have said to Paul, why in the world did you have us come to Philippi in the first place? But the Bible says what really happened is at midnight, Paul and Silas began to sing. They began to sing and they began to worship the Lord in that darkness. And they began to cry out to a supernatural God. They weren't denying reality, but they were worshiping the Lord in the midst of a dark reality. And as they began to worship the Lord, all of a sudden, the Lord began to move in that situation and an earthquake came and the shaking of the jail and finally the doors were open and Paul and Silas's situation changed. I believe that many times praise and worship proceeds the change in our situation. And I think one of the things that we need to do in our homes, we need to do in our cars, those of you that love to worship and you love to worship at Bayshore, when you're in your car, when you're in your living room, when you're in the kitchen, make sure that you're worshiping the Lord because worship proceeds God changing our environment. And so the Bible says that Paul and Silas were worshiping the Lord, and there's power in the words. And the Bible says the prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas. I believe people in our community right now that don't know Jesus, that aren't walking with Jesus, I think that people in our community are watching how believers in Jesus are responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. And we want to be like Paul and Silas, that as the prisoners are listening to us, that they can see us filled with hope because, you know, we got the same problems that our neighbors have. We have the same problems that everybody else in Delaware and Maryland have. We have all the same problems, but the difference for you and I that are following Jesus, we have Jesus inside of us, and Jesus is the sovereign Lord of the universe, and he's with us, and so we can be filled with hope because he is the God of hope. Can you say a big amen? 
It's an incredible, encouraging thing. You can think about that. There's power in words. The Bible says in Proverbs that the power, uh, uh, there's power in the tongue, that word and life and uh, word and life are in the power of the tongue, an incredible thing. I have a good friend, uh, David Kerr, who is, uh, uh, lives in Texas, and David and I have been friends ever since college. And uh, David ran his first marathon. He's a marathon runner. He ran his first marathon in Pensacola, Florida, uh, back in the 80s. And it was the Blue Angel Marathon. I don't know if you know about the Blue Angel, uh, you know, uh, Air, uh, Navy uh, Air Force thing. It's an incredible uh, team. I got to see them perform a lot of times when I lived in Pensacola. But there's the uh, Blue Angel Marathon in Pensacola. And David was running his first marathon. There was this guy named Steve Lichty that he had been uh, training with. And uh, Steve Lichty, had just been encouraging David, and they'd been running together and training together. And the day of the race, David's all ready uh, for the race, and Steve Lichty comes, and he's all dressed up in his, in his regular clothes. And, and David says to him, what's going on? You're supposed to run this race with me. And Steve said, I'm, I'm just, I'm sick. There's something wrong, and I, I can't run the race today. But I just wanted to come encourage you. And so David said he got ready to run that race, and he started running, and he was doing really good. He's doing really good until he hit about mile 22. When he got to mile 22, David said he hit the wall. And as he hit the wall, uh, David said that, you know, it's like his feet were in uh, blocks of cement. He said, I could barely lift my feet. And he said, I was, was trying to run. He said, I was almost, I didn't think I was going to finish. I was that close, 22 miles, only had four, a little over four miles to go. And they said when he got into that, that place in uh, 22 miles when he was struggling, all of a sudden, who showed up was Steve Lichty. He had driven there, and he came out on the route with him, and uh, he had some of it, he had changed his clothes, he's got his tennis shoes on, and he's running beside David, and he's saying, David, you can do this. You can do this. You can make this. And uh, David said, uh, Steve Lichty said, hey, you are lifting your feet up a little higher. And so he's kind of lifting his feet up, and then all of a sudden, it just that second wind came. And David was able to finish the race. And here's a picture of my good friend David. This is, uh, he actually ran four marathons after this, and this is the New York marathon that he ran. And uh, I wasn't at New York, but I did watch it on ESPN and ate some ice cream while I was watching David run the New York marathon. So what an incredible thing. You know, sometimes we need somebody to come beside us and just speak positive words to us, encourage us. And we, as the church of the Lord, People at Bayshore in the community, we're, we're in Maryland, we're in Salisbury, we're all through Wicomico County, we're on the, uh, the, uh, on the beach areas, we're in Fenwick Island, we're everywhere in this community. And we need to be like Steve Lichty. We need to get behind and beside people that are struggling to have hope. And we need to speak hope into them because God wants to bring hope back to this nation. God wants to bring hope back to this community. And we need to be like Ezekiel, speaking the word of the Lord, speaking the word of the Lord and giving encouragement to people and letting them know that God is with them and that the Lord is going to restore our community and the Lord is going to restore our nation because we are experiencing collective hopelessness and we are called by God to be like Ezekiel, to begin to speak positive words to other people. And it's something about when you read the text, the Bible says that nothing really happened, nothing really happened uh, until Ezekiel began to prophesy. Now, just think about this. Ezekiel was told by God to prophesy to these bones, and I don't know what he felt about that. But the bones were still there. But if you read the text in Ezekiel 37, when he began to prophesy, the bones began to move. When he began to prophesy, 
the bones began to move. You know, it always takes human initiation before God does something. There's a principle of us doing what God tells us to do and to do it with passion. And when we begin to do that, God begins to work in the midst of that situation. Uh, recently, I saw this principle happening, and uh, there was somebody that was uh, has been upset with me, you know, over the years. You know, I, I as a as a person in our community, I mean, you know, we have all these relationships, and somebody was upset with me, and you know, I'm sure I wasn't perfect in whatever they're concerned about, and and uh, but recently, I just began to pray for that person. The Lord just laid them on my heart to pray for them, and uh, just pray for them, and pray for them, and uh, obviously reach out with apologies and things you need to do, and all that, and done all that, and all. All those things are important, but we were, Karen and I were at the, uh, out to dinner uh, the other Sunday uh, after church, and we went to the steak place, and we're, uh, we're ordering our steak, and we're getting ready to, to say uh, our grace over our meal, and so I bow my head, and the Lord tapped me on the shoulder, and the Lord said, when you pray today, I want you to pray for this, this couple. I want you to pray for them, and so just out of nowhere, I'm supposed to bless the the, the ribeye and the baked potato. And that's what I'm supposed to be praying about. But I just, just began to pray in that restaurant as I held Karen's hand. We prayed for that couple and asked the Lord to minister to them and, and bless them, spoke a blessing. You know, the Bible says to bless your enemies. So I just prayed a blessing over them. And so we're eating our steak. Did you know that we just hadn't even finished our meal when that very couple was seated by the uh, restaurant people right next to us? How about that? Isn't that a God thing? So I went over there, obviously, after we got done eating our meal, and we talked, and, and we had a wonderful conversation, and the ice was broke. And sometimes we have to do what we are called to do in order for God to begin to move. Uh, sometimes you gotta, you know, you got you to gotta take the first step. you got to do what you're supposed to do. Uh, maybe, you know, you gotta, you know, you're, you don't have that job and you gotta get that resume. You make that resume up. You begin to get this interview. You take your step. You do what you're supposed to do. You move and God begins to move. It says in this incredible story here that as I began to prophesy, the bones began to move. So there's an incredible principle of us stepping out and doing things in faith, doing things taking the initiative, believing God. I remember uh, standing in my dad's church and Karen standing behind me in choir practice, youth choir, and boy, I tell you what, she was out of my league. But I turned around and I said, hey, how about going out on a date? And uh, she was shocked. I was shocked she said yes because she was completely out of my league. Hey, you gotta, you know, you gotta take initiative. It's very important. You know what a farmer does? What a farmer does is a farmer... He plants the seed, he puts it in the ground, he takes initiative, and then the miracle takes over where God begins to germinate that seed and that seed begins to grow. The farmer can't do that. The farmer has no power to make that seed germinate. All he does is he does his part and then the supernatural takes over. So remember this, and we're going through these times, it's very important for us to do what we are supposed to do. I'll never forget you know, uh, how God has worked in these situations where people take the initiative. And I don't know about uh, Ezekiel, how Ezekiel 
felt about this. I don't know how passionate he was about prophesying. Now, I just happen to think that when he was prophesying, that he was prophesying with passion and that he was saying, bones, hear the word of the Lord and bones come together. I think he was doing it passionately and I think he was doing it by faith and the Lord told him to do it. And so because the Lord told him to do it, he did it. And as he did what he was supposed to do, then God met him and did other things as well. A couple years ago, or quite a few years ago now, uh, one of the uh, guys we had on staff was Andy Mason. Andy Mason was our media director. And uh, when he was, he worked for for, uh, Bayshore for years. Andy did a wonderful job. And uh, we just have such a great, uh, great history together. And I just thank Andy for all the great things he's done for our organization. And I remember... Uh, one, uh, one, one particular uh, Christmas season when Andy worked here, he was single and he was wanting to get married and couldn't seem to find the right girl. And uh, I remember I had this uh, big idea that we were going to have a New Year's Eve party. We were going to have a New Year's Eve party. And, uh, and we're going to rent the cheer center and we're going to have dancing and we're going to have music we'll have great food and we're going to have everybody signed up. We're going to have a great time. And, uh, well, Andy and some of the young millennials that work for work to Bayshore, they didn't want to go. You know, it's going to be a lame party, a bunch of old people. The music's probably not going to be good. And, and uh, he didn't want to go to the party. And uh, David Bullard, who was on staff then at Bayshore, David was one of our associate pastors. And David said to Andy, well, brother, it said, said, brother Andy, said, Andy, Pastor Danny wants to do this. And we just need to, we just need to do it. And, and, and I know you don't want to go to this party, but he said to Andy, you be the party. You be the party. You just go there and you have a good time and you be the party. You have a good attitude. So he said that to Andy and the other millennials that didn't want to come. And David covered my back on that. So we had the party. And David uh, had encouraged Andy, and so Andy, I watched Andy the night. He's out there in the line. He's dancing. He's having a good attitude. He's passionate about being there. He's kind of overcoming his feelings. His feelings didn't want to be there, but he's kind of overcoming his feelings. Maybe like Ezekiel, kind of overcoming his feelings. He didn't maybe want to prophesy. It seemed kind of silly, but he overcame his feelings. And so Andy's out there dancing. He's having, you know, trying to have a good time, trying to be the party, kind of doing what he's supposed to do. And while he's dancing around, he meets a young lady by the name of Logan that was there from Laurel Wesley. And she came from another church, heard about the party, signed up for the party, came to the party with a group of her friends. And Andy and Logan started looking at each other, you know, the little looking at each other and all that going on and, and the little flirting going on. And then he asked, uh, asked Logan out a week later and Logan said yes. And they went out again and again, and it wasn't uh, too long after that that Andy and Logan and I walked across this uh, floor here, and they got married right here. Here's a picture of Andy and Logan. And uh, this is their little boy, Solomon, and this is their other boy, little Moses. And uh, this is their uh, Christmas picture, obviously. And so, hey, listen, you know, sometimes when you are obedient to do what you don't feel like doing, and you just kind of have a good attitude, and you just kind of go at it with a great attitude, and maybe like Ezekiel, it doesn't make any sense to you, it doesn't seem to, you know, compute, and and, and you just kind of like got a kind of a a mulligrub attitude about it, but if you'll just kind of put your heart in it, and you put your heart in every day when you get up during COVID-19, 
Maybe, you know, I've been listening to the news and everything's dark, everything's gloomy, but you just get up in the morning, you say, this is the day the Lord has made. It's a good day and I'm going to have a good day. And you go out there and you don't let your feelings dictate your attitude, but you take your attitude and you do it in a good way. And I believe that as we do that, God begins to move. God begins to do incredible things. We are like on, we're going to be like Ezekiel during COVID-19. Seems like there's collective hopelessness. But Ezekiel, he stood up, lifted up his head, and he began to prophesy, bones come together. Wind, fill these bones. Spirit of God, fill these bones. Cause these bones to stand up as a mighty army. Maybe we need to just say that over our nation. Maybe we need to, as we start every day, to be like Ezekiel. Instead of letting the atmosphere dictate our feelings, we let our, our faith in God, our hope in God, our obedience to the Lord, to listen to the Lord and to do what the Lord wants us to do, as we begin to do that, I think that God will begin to move. So stand up, be like Ezekiel, be strong, because what this vision means, and it came to pass, this vision was when it looked like the nation would never, what looked like the nation would ever, would never get back to Jerusalem. It looked like there would never, ever be a nation of Israel again. It looked like they would never have a king, never have a temple, never have a city. But if you look at what really happened in 536 B.C., a new king by the name of uh, Cyrus the Great, Cyrus the Great gave, an, gave it, uh, an order that the Jews could go back to their homeland, that they could build their temple. And we have Nehemiah uh, building the walls, and we have Ezra building the temple, and their temple was rebuilt, and their city was rebuilt, and God restored them, and God did something amazing. The Israel had greatly sinned against the Lord, and uh, one of the great messages in this story, as I close, is this fact, that Israel was in Babylon because they had really messed up, because they would really sinned. You can read throughout the Old Testament, they had uh, literally brought uh, false gods into the temple of, of Yahweh in Jerusalem before the Babylonians came and conquered them. They had even sacrificed their children in the valley of uh, Hinnom and uh, to Moloch the god. They had done all these horrible things, and they had sinned greatly against the Lord, but it's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of reconciliation. It's a story of restoration. And I'm just here to say as I end this message today, it doesn't matter how much you've messed up. It doesn't matter how far off track you have gone. There's always hope for you to begin to turn around. And this is a great story of God forgiving, God restoring, God reconciling, and God bringing a wayward nation back to their homeland. It's a homecoming story. And maybe you've been a long ways from home spiritually. Maybe you've been a long ways from worshiping the Lord and walking with the Lord recently. And the Lord's calling you home to begin to worship the Lord because He is a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. One day I was down to a PGH Hospital in Salisbury, and I was coming out from visiting somebody. And as I was coming out from visiting uh, uh, the person I had been to visit in the hospital, uh, as I was walking out, it was a spring day, 
uh, and there were window cleaners up there cleaning the windows. And I think, you know, PJH Hospital's four or five floors, something like that. And they were way at the top. And so I'm sort of looking at the hospital there because, you know, there's not any high buildings in Gumboro. So I'm like just looking at that. Hey, that's really incredible. Watching that, watching that window cleaner back and forth cleaning the windows. And on, he was on a little pulley, and he was just swinging back and forth. He was way up there. And then a guy came and stood beside me. And this guy stood beside me, and he said, man, that's really scary. Man, that's just terrible. What if that guy fell? I don't know if I could ever do that. I'm scared of heights, this guy was telling me. And so I was just watching, watching that guy up there clean the windows. Then all of a sudden it occurred to me, you know, what a, what, what a wonderful place to fall. If you're going to fall, to fall right in front of a hospital. I mean, that's really the best place to fall. And, you know, you can fall a lot of places, but if you're going to fall, the best place to fall is in front of a hospital. And if you've messed up and you've fallen and you've gotten off track and you're not walking with the Lord like you were at one time, I'm here to tell you the, the Valley of Dry Bones is about God putting your life back together, of God restoring you, of God bringing you home to a relationship to Him. It doesn't matter how much you've sinned, because it says this in Romans chapter 6, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Everybody online, regardless of where you are, if you're in your living room or if you're in your kitchen, those of you at Fenwick Island right now, I want you to lift up your hands and I want you to thank the Lord for His grace in your life, that you were like a valley of dry bones and the Lord has restored you. The Lord has forgiven you, and the Lord has brought you back to his arms. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for hope, that we are a people of hope. And I pray that this week we'll be like Ezekiel, prophesying to our neighbors, prophesying to our co-workers, prophesying to our state that you are a God of restoration, and we will get our nation back. And we'll get our lives back because you are a God who does the supernatural. We thank you for loving us and taking care of us. And we're so grateful for your mercy and grace in our life. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Hey, listen, I love you guys. Karen loves you guys. Jeremy and Regan love you. Joel and Stacy, our whole staff, we love you. And we believe in you. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next week for part three of Hopeless.